0: Good morning everybody. Good to see you. I think I'm ringing a little bit. Um, as you can tell, if you heard the ringing, we are still in process. Thank God that we're all in process, that we're not, uh, we're not quite there yet. Um, we are full functioning in the sound room, mostly. Um, but we are still working out some, uh, just some little things that you probably heard, kind of some ringing. The guy that installed this, he did a great job. He's actually going to come back in a couple weeks and fine-tune things. He said, I'll have you ready to go Sunday. And, and he said, he said uh, tell your people, give, give yourselves a little grace for two or three, four weeks until, you know, because it's, go- it's a completely different setup back there. And so we are trying to tune it right and get it all sounding good. So uh, have mercy on us during this time. Have mercy on us the whole time. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! See what I mean? They're giving you an example as I speak. So, thanks for the uh, the illustration, you guys. That was awesome. Uh, before we get started here, I actually um, I have um, some exciting news. We we have an annual meeting coming up, and uh, the annual meeting um, actually anyone can attend, but it, it's uh, it's to call the members of the of the church to come, and we will be voting on see the board secretary does. Is I want to announce some exciting news that we have in conjunction with the annual meeting. Um, this has been a process of. Oh, probably over the last year of prayer, of conversations, of more prayer and more conversations, and uh, just the leadership seeking the Lord. And uh, I wanted to make this announcement today just to kind of give you a heartbeat kind of behind the vision. Most of you guys here know Carrie and Lynn Christopher. Carrie is officially retired from working at the state parks. Carrie and Lynn, if you don't know, they were an elder couple here um, for many years, and then they moved down to Marshall. He was transferred, but they never lost the connection of of being tied to this church. They feel like that their heart's still here. They kind of grew up in the Lord here. They didn't grow up physically, but just kind of grew up in the Lord spiritually here at this church, and uh, they have been always such a valuable asset to this church, And uh, upon retiring, Carrie is just kind of praying and asking the Lord um, what he's supposed to do. And they felt a sense of God's leading back to the Montevideo area. And through these prayer and conversations with the leadership, um, we kind of were thinking of, you know, where we're going as a church. Maybe identifying some deficiencies that we have um, and, and, you know, where people would fit in the right roles And uh, God really began to speak to our hearts about Carrie being on board with us as our pastoral care and connections pastor. That's good news. Um, And through this prayer and processing, they felt a sense of the Lord's leading. We definitely felt the leading of the Lord to, uh, to bring them on in that capacity. Uh, their compensation would simply be as it had been before. We're going to pay for their health insurance. He will have retirement, and so we will be compensating their health insurance. And so this, would, this will be another vote of confirmation on, at the annual meeting to put Carrie Christopher as Community Bible Church Pastoral Care and Connections pastor. That excites me. Come on, people. If you don't know Carrie, you should be clapping right now because you're going to love Carrie Christopher and Lynn. They are phenomenal people. Uh, we just thank God for their lives. We thank God for what he's doing in them. and. You know, there's that natural, I talked to Kerry this week, and we've been sitting on this news for so long, it's so good to get it out, so uh, now we can talk about it, and if you have questions, call me, please um, talk to Kerry this week, and he said, I'm walking out of the door for kind of for his last full day of, of, of business, and he's been in the park service for over 30 years, and I said, how's it feel, and he said, weird you know, when you've done something that long and, uh, and just sensing, I guess, a new season, a new chapter in life. And uh, so we're just we're thrilled about uh, uh, what God is doing in them and here in the church. They're going to be um, purchasing a farm near Watson. So uh, we're excited about their transition back here. And we're uh, looking forward to those of you that don't know them getting to know them better. And I know for you that do know them, you're thrilled about that news too. So I want to give this Um, Annual meeting notice in an official way, but the members of Community Bible Church, Montevideo, Minnesota, are hereby notified that the annual meeting of the church will be held at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, April 4th, 2012, here in the church sanctuary for the confirmation of two new deacons, for the confirmation of hiring a Care and Connections pastor for the reviewing of the 2012 budget and for any other business to come before the voting members that is dated March 15th. And it was submitted by, and obviously I'm giving this on behalf of John Peterson, our board secretary. So again, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me. One other quick announcement. Um, The churches in our region are uh, looking at spring of next year bringing in, um, it's it's an organization called Feed My Starving Children. Um, it, is, it is a ministry that reaches literally worldwide to bring meals to the very poorest of the poor. These are not, you know, just kind of a typical meal that you and I would think of. This is a very basic, uh, this is for, for children that are starving. And it's to help them get back into nourishment uh, and, and get healthy and uh, has vitamins. It's, if, you, if you saw it or if you've ever packed one of those, if you've ever been a part of volunteering, you would look at it and go, whoa, you know, I don't know if that would sound too appealing. When you're starving, it would be very appealing. How many have ever heard of Feed My Starving Children? How many have ever packed for them? At any time, volunteers, there's some people that have done that. Um, We are looking at as a, a, in the region, you know, mainly Montevideo, but possibly a couple other churches from surrounding areas of bringing their mobile packing station in next spring and working together, um, kind of in a corporate way, uh, together as the churches. We are having a meeting this Thursday evening, and I'm looking for one or two people that have some good organizational skills to come with me to that meeting. If that sounds like something you would like to be a part of, each church is kind of bringing one or two um, to go to that meeting and uh, kind of talking through the details. And we're putting it at about a year out so that we can plan this. And so they're looking at people that can take some um, organizational leadership in that. So if you, that sounds like something you'd like to be a part of, please see me. It would, it would consist of Kind of right now, about every other month meeting, as we get closer, it would be more like once a month, and, and then when you get really close, about you know, every other week or so. So there's kind of a time commitment um, with some meetings. And so, again, please let me know if you're interested in that. And with that, let's move on to what the Lord is speaking to us today. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you for your grace, your mercy. That you so freely give us. Lord, we receive from your heart today. I pray, God, that we would uh, hear the word of the Lord. We would hear what you have to say. Uh, Lord, give us ears to hear. I think of, uh, Lord Jesus, what you even said to the, those, those churches in Revelation is, is, he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And, Lord, that is what we want, Lord, individually. And we want to hear what you're saying to us. We want to hear what you're saying to our church. Lord, give us spiritual ears, spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding. Lord, let us hear and then let us obey what you're telling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Glad to be here. A little chilly this morning. It's all right. Summer yesterday, winter back today. It's Montevideo. You know, it's, it's Minnesota. Today we are going to, actually today and next week, we're going to conclude our series from Hebrews 12. Uh, This series that I've been on, uh, kind of living the transformed life, finishing well. God wants us to finish well. Again, kind of twofold idea for the sermon, living the transformed life, where we have that passage in Scripture where um, Paul tells us that uh, from, from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he wants us to walk in a transformed living lives that are transformed by the power of the Spirit to become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, to become more like him. That is, the, that is our Father in heaven. That is his desire for each person is that we become more and more like Jesus Christ, conformed to the image of Christ. And also with that is to live well, to live exactly what he, in, in the life that he's called us to live and to run the race that is set before us and to finish strong. I want to finish well. I want you to finish well. I want my family to finish well. I want us to walk in everything God has for us. God's heart is that we run the race that is marked out for us individually and corporately with perseverance and endurance to fight the good fight, to run well, and to finish well. I love 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, and I'll be looking at a couple of scriptures. I will be in Hebrews 12 if you want to turn there. That'll be our main text, but I'm going to be jumping around a little bit. 2 Timothy, in context to this letter, it is, uh, it is Paul's second letter to Timothy. Timothy is this young pastor who Paul, um, you know, if you if you kind of look at the book of Acts, you know, Paul did these missionary journeys. He went around. He planted churches in these areas in Ephesus and Galatia and and uh, you know other cities, Corinth. And he's he's planting these churches. He's an apostolic father. People are coming to know Christ, and then he puts these young men, and one of the guys is Timothy. He is a pastor in Ephesus, and this is his uh, letter to Timothy, a second letter to Timothy. The, the, the first and second Timothy are all kind of about church life, how to do church, encouraging him as a young pastor. Most people think that Timothy was probably in his 20s, you know, so he was very green. He was trying to learn kind of the, the way we do this. It had never been done before. Now we're organizing a church, and now what do we do? How do we do this? And, and so Paul's encouraging him. At the end of second Timothy, you actually have one of the most vulnerable moments that we see in paul 's life he 's coming to the end of his life he knows I mean whether whether the the spirit of the Lord is preparing I think that that's probably what it is the spirit of the Lord is preparing him and uh, he just knows that the end of his life is very soon he just has a knowing in his spirit he wasn't when he died you know and he died in prison and uh, he wasn't a a really, really old man, but he had gone through some very hard, very rough things, and he knew that his time on the earth was limited. Most people believe he was executed. And so he's coming to the end of his life, and he, you have this vulnerable moment with, with Timothy, and, and he's saying something here, and I, and I love what he says, and this is kind of a heartbeat as it ties into Hebrews 12, but he says this, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, And I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. And I'm thinking, what a way to finish. What a way to finish the race. And you can look at Paul's life and you can think that, Man, you know, he spent some time in prison, and, and what of a waste of a resource that he was. Why wouldn't God just get him out of prison and, and keep him from hard things? He endured some very hard, hard things. Just read 2 Corinthians. And he endured some things that were, were unimaginable. And he shares those, but he also shares that his, his heart was given over to the message and the ministry of Jesus Christ, no matter what comes my way. And the reason why I'm talking about this is because it leads into this thing in Hebrews 12 that we are going to be looking at today because the title of this message is Holding On to the Unshakable. This is part one. Next week will be part two. Holding On to the Unshakable. And Paul gets to the end of his life. And he says, I I fought a good fight and I I, I finished the race. And now I await the, the prize, the crown of righteousness that awaits me, that will come from the Lord." And then he says, the prize is not just for me, but he's saying the prize is for us too. That you can run well, you can finish well, you can run and and, and remain faithful. And don't lose out on what God has for you. Finish well, what a way to finish. I want to finish that way with my eyes on the Lord Jesus. Throughout this series, we, we talked about why some don't finish well because the, the, the sad, tragic reality is that some people don't finish well. They get to the end of their lives and they have tons and tons of regrets. Again, not that we all have, I think, a level of regret, but my heart is to live with as little regret as possible, to, to mend those things I need to mend, to get things right with God, to get things right with other people. And the reality is that some people do not finish the race well. But we also talked about the keys to finishing well and and living the transformed life. Throughout this time, we, we talked about sin issues, keep people from finishing well. The author of Hebrews says, run the race, but cast aside those sins that easily tangle your feet because the enemy also has a plan for our destruction. And he said there's sin sin issues, cast them aside, subdue those, become master. Don't let sin master you, you master it. Because we're never going to be able to get rid of the sin nature within us. It just won't happen. We talked about loss of focus. That's why he says, fix your eyes. And when, when when, when the author of Hebrews is saying fix your eyes, he is talking about focus. He's talking about intense, laser beam focus, focus on Jesus. And a lot of people lose that focus of why we exist and why we're here, forgetting why we were created. Another thing is weariness, forgetting about love. A lot of people forget about love. Jesus said this, and he said, in the end times, the love of many would grow cold, but he who endures to the end would be saved. So guard your heart. Make sure you remember that the reason why Jesus came is because he loves you deeply. He loves each and every single one of us. He came out of love. He died out of love. He rose from the dead out of love. He lived a life for us out of love. Do not forget love. Like the people in Ephesus and you know, that, that, that letter in, in Ephesus, I mean, Revelation chapter 3, to the, to, the, to the church in Ephesus, you have forgotten your first love. You're going through the motions, but you're unhappy. You know, you're doing spiritual things, you're doing religious things, but something is missing, and your missing component is you've forgotten love. Don't forget why we were created. That we were created to receive God's love and then to give that love away. We talked about being control freaks. Remember that one. And this thing is about giving control to God daily, giving him complete control. That's the daily surrender because we're all kind of, we love to be in control. We love to kind of take the wheel from him every now and again and say, "I'll, I'll steer it from here. And we have those moments and maybe those seasons where we're trying to take control. And, you know, walking with him is he wants control because then there's that element of rest, knowing that he's in control and he's sovereign. Last week, we talked about embracing God's discipline as children, that he loves us. When he disciplines us, when he brings discipline to us, it proves that we're his. And that's what the author is saying. It it proves that you belong to God when he disciplines you to, to embrace his discipline. And then, of course, the major key verse, I think, to all Hebrews 12 is fixing, keeping our eyes on Jesus, who longs to be the author and the finisher of our faith. I want, I want to begin with him, and, you know, when we say yes to him, and we have that moment of surrender, and again, day-to-day surrender, but it's not just that he wants to author, he wants to finish with us, amen? He wants to finish with us. He wants us to finish with him, to receive, as Paul says, the crown of life, To receive our eternal reward. So today and next week, we're going to conclude by looking at, I think, the final key um, in this series. um, The the thought from Hebrews 12 on running well and finishing well is holding on to the unshakable. Uh, we're going to be first starting, and uh, I'm going to read uh, several passages here, and uh, and then we're going to talk about those a little bit, and, and and then we'll close for today, and we'll pick it back up next week. But Hebrews 12, 14 through 17, and then 25 through 29. So let's start in, in verse 14. Listen to what... The author is saying here. It says, Make every effort. And again, this is about running the race well. And he's going to lead up to something about uh, living, you know, holding on to that which is unshakable. But he says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one can see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. And defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. So I want to stop there, and then we'll we'll look at the other passage in a moment. But just kind of as a setup, because he he's going somewhere towards the end of the chapter here, and the end of this thought. He's getting ready to talk about holding that on to that which is unshakable. But he says something right on the heels of last week's message. He's talking last week. We you know we talked about, it and he just talks about embracing God's discipline. And he's giving this word on discipline, as that that when when God disciplines, we are his sons and his daughters. Then he says this, make every effort to live in peace with all people. Just let that sink in for a moment. Is that easy to do? Make every effort to live in peace with all people and be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord the words throughout this book the words especially in this chapter aren't just good suggestions we got to we we have to hear them and take them very seriously because i think what he's getting at is saying this that eternity is serious business when we die from this life we don't just cease to exist if that were the case, then we just all need to kind of exit the door, remove, you know, leave our Bibles at the door, and, and, and just go, go find something to do outside of this. Because we're living not for just this earth. We are living for the reality of eternity. Eternity is real. When someone dies, when someone uh, leaves this life, they begin eternity. And it's very real, and it's the unendable time. This, we, we, you know, as human beings, it's so easy for us to measure time and measure thought and measure all of life in the context of just this earthly life. God sees it completely different. He knew us from the foundation of the earth. He knew you were going to be here at this moment in history. He knew that from a foundation of the earth, and he also knows what you're going to be doing, and I like to call it the 20,000-year plan. You got a 20,000-year plan? Much less, of what are you going to do in five years? But he's got a plan for your life then because he sees it from eternity past to eternity future. This earth is not all there is. We will not just stop living and stop being. We will be more alive than we have ever been. We will be in the presence of God. That is his promise We will stand before him and every human being on planet earth will give an account for their lives. And they will stand, as Paul said, described him as a just and a merciful God. And we will give an account. You will give an account. I will give an account. We will stand before him on that day. And so I believe that this, and most, most people believe that, that Paul authored this uh, Hebrews and, and, you know, he didn't put his name attached to it because he's, the letter is to Jews. And, uh, you know, he was trying to maybe kind of hide who, you know, who he was, but he did this kind of distribution letter around. I, I tend to think that probably Paul did. So if I say Paul and you don't believe it was Paul, forgive me, we'll get over that. That's just semantics, but... What Paul is saying, and, and, and again, we see what he's saying to Timothy of, of finishing well. He's driving point the, uh, the, the point home of saying eternity is real. You need to grab a hold of that every day. Not in a terror thing, but just the reality that life will be over for us one day. And then what happens? Eternity. And we need to hold that in our hearts and have a serious mindset to that. You know, so we're all on the, the journey in different phases of life. Kind of in the somewhat in the middle now. And it feels a little strange. You start thinking about, you know, later on what's going to happen. You know, when you're young, you kind of feel invincible and it just feels like it's just forever out there. When you're old, it starts, you know, you start really thinking about that time is short. Whether Christ returns or whether we go home to be with him, eternity is reality because ultimately none of us are promised tomorrow. I mean we know things happen in this world and life could end quickly and we need to be ready for that and I think that that is what Paul is trying to drive home with this passage is is be ready. Be ready. And he says that without holiness no one can see the Lord. And he's saying this, get along with people. I mean, the gist of what he's saying here is he's saying is, is live at peace with all men. Get along. Walk in unity with people. Love each other. Forgive each other quickly. Don't hold on to grudges. Don't hold on to, uh, to little things that, that, that can affect and infect your heart. Serve each other with gladness. And it's interesting that he would say this in context with talking about eternal things. He just talks about discipline. He's getting ready to talk about the unshakable, holding on to unshakable. And he says, work at being at peace with all men, because basically this thing boils down to being right with God and right with people. And getting along with each other is all about attitude, isn't it? Attitude is everything. I heard a guy just recently, and there was a quote, and he said, attitude, not aptitude, determines your altitude. It's kind of like preacher rap is what that is. You know, it's like, you know, breaking it down here. But your attitude determines where you go and how high you go. It's not how much we know. It's not our giftedness that gets it. It's our attitudes, and we have to check our attitudes, Because our attitude and our actions reveal what's really going on inside of us. The idea of transformation, when we hear the word transformation, it's about God's internal work in us. It will affect our external, but it's God's internal work in us. It's how we respond in in hard situations when someone confronts you or or you you get busted or you get caught doing something. You know, what is our response? is our response to, to lash out, to defend ourselves, to get angry, to not love or forgive. And that's a test of our hearts and our attitudes. Watch how you respond to others. When things may not go your way, watch what you say, watch what you do, what is going on in you, and you have this internal conflict. A lot of times it's not about them, it's about you and what God's doing in you. Because we can choose how we respond and we need God's love, and that's why he says work at, work at being at peace with all men, with everyone. Allow the transformational work of God to work at you internal, because you can tell people that are allowing the internal work because it does manifest on the outward. And then he says, be holy because without holiness you can't see the Lord. Be holy. How do we do that? There's one passage that scares me every time I read it. And it's a word from one of the prophecies. He said, you know, basically God is speaking. He says, be holy as I am holy. Whoa, does that freak you out as much as it freaks me out. God is saying, be holy like I am holy. Okay, I can't ever do that. And so then the question is, okay, God, you, you said that. Now, how do I do that? And it is about surrendering and walking with the one who is holiness himself, Jesus Christ. He is holiness. To be holy as God God is holy, we must walk with the one who is holy and have him in our hearts to have him transform our hearts so that we can be holy as he is holy. And have him dwell in us. And again, this goes back to the day-to-day surrender. This is not one event. It's not like having a holiness conference and everybody that leaves is going to be holy when you leave. You know, God bless you, we're going to pray holiness every... And now you're holy, go. Go. Holiness is a day-to-day walk. It's daily surrender because it's waking up and saying, Lord, without your transformational work in my life, without your holiness manifesting in me, I don't have a chance today. I need you. I need you. It's humbling ourselves before him. That's how we are holy as God is holy. Because without holiness, we cannot please God. We can't walk with the Lord. It's our response and our attitudes. Again, when something happens, are we, do we act like Christ or do we respond in the flesh? Is our tendency to be more like him or to be more like us? Day-to-day surrender is being holy. Then verse 15, there's this natural flow from verse 14. The thought, and I'll read that. It says this. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The reason why it flows is he's talking about being at peace with people. Really, it's about being at peace with God. Because if our attitude and our hearts are in the wrong place, we will miss the grace of God. And he said, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And if we're walking with Christ, we won't miss the grace of God. And it's those days that we try to do it on our own and we don't surrender that we will miss the grace of God. And then here's what happens because He has just talked about our response to other people and how we treat other people, being at peace with other people. If not, a bitter root will grow up in you. And it grows up in us. And it's very subtle. It's usually a little seed, maybe a little offense. Somebody said something that you didn't like. Somebody looked at you the wrong way. Somebody did something that you, and there's that little seed that the enemy tries to plant in our heart, and then it grows, and it can be a bitter root. The only, thing, the only problem with a bitter root, if it doesn't get pulled out, it becomes a bitter tree that produces fruit of bitterness in your life. And it's interesting that he says that this is not just our bitter root. He says it will affect and defile Many. It's not just our bitter root. If we don't, if we don't deal with the bitter root that's in our hearts, it affects people around us. Because bitterness begins to spill out, and we begin to speak bitterness. We begin to act bitter. We begin to act angry, and the problem is, is that affects everyone around us. Then it's not just your bitter root, and that's why he says, deal with it, or if it's going to defile many. That's why disunity, that's why unhappiness can spread like a disease among people. Because you usually can start with one and they're offended and this bitter root grows up. And then people around you are grabbing a hold of your bitterness. And he's saying, check your heart. Check your heart. Be at peace with all men. And basically it boils down to this. Are you right with God and are you right with others? And then pray that every day. God, help me to be right with you and right with others. Lord, take out that root of bitterness. Help me to forgive and love quickly. Help me to keep, like Paul says, don't keep any record of wrong. Help me to walk in joy and let the joy of the Lord be my strength. Lord, help that bitter root not to become a bitter tree and get it out. And that's how we are walking as holy unto the Lord. Then he goes into verse 16 and 18. I actually talked about this before. I want to touch on it very quickly because he talks about Esau. And I, and I talked about the, 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 the idea that, that the enemy wants to bring sin in our lives that, that keeps us from walking in, in our destiny because God has a promise and a destiny for every human life. And he says, don't be like Esau because he says, flee sexual immorality. And don't be like Esau that for a bowl of stew, he sold out his birthright. And the birthright was a very valuable, valuable thing. The rights of the firstborn. Esau was the firstborn, and the inheritance was his. And he comes home one day, and he's hungry. And his brothers made this stew, and he says, give me some of the stew. And Jacob, who was looking for an opportunity to manipulate and deceive him, says, I tell you what, you give me your birthright, I'll give you a bowl of soup. You know, we're all in the, you know, you kind of almost are watching this from the stands. You know, you're watching, you know, those movies you watch and you don't want the person to do what they're getting ready to do, but you know, they're going to do it. And you're almost wanting to scream at the screen. Don't do that. You know, but because of the plot, they have to do it. And you're like, I knew they were going to do it. Some people, you you know, it's, you're so disappointed. And then you read this passage in scripture because it goes back to, you know, Jacob and Esau and you're saying, Esau, do you know what you're getting ready to do? Don't do it. And he said, "What good is my birthright? I'm starving to death." And in this moment in the flesh, I mean, he could have eaten. He could have just gone and fixed his own sandwich. He was a hunter. He was a gamesman. He he cooked. I mean, it's not like that. He couldn't do anything. Like if his brother didn't give him the soup, he was, it was over. In a moment in the flesh, he takes the birthright, this valuable, precious thing, as the firstborn, and he throws it under the bus. He says, "What good is my birthright? Give me the soup." gets the soup, fills his belly, loses his birthright. And we think, what are you thinking? What are you doing? But we see it happen all the time. A moment in the flesh. A moment of sexual sin. You know, a moment that you cannot have back and we feel like, I have to have this now. And what good is this or that if I can't have that right now? And Paul, he is imploring us because he's, he's been talking about finishing well. He's been talking about running well. He's been talking about, you know, walk in holiness and what God has for you. And he said, God has so much for you and you got to see it through the lens of love. And he even says that's why God disciplines you because he treats you as sons and daughters. And you've got to see it out of love. You've got to see that he's got this valuable, precious gift for you to walk in on this earth. And he's got a destiny, a plan for you, but he's also got this eternal destiny for you. Don't just throw it under the bus for a moment in the flesh. See the value that God has placed on you. See the value that he places on you and the plan he has for you and surrender your life to him. We've got to... Catch that. And the cool thing, the awesome thing that we have with Jesus is forgiveness and redemption. And so today, you know, if you've made those decisions as I have, moments in the flesh that you can't get back, what is God saying today? He's saying, repent. Go to the Lord. Surrender that. Lord, I'm sorry. Redeem it. Forgive me. Help me to walk forward in everything that you have for me. And then before we get in the main text, verses 18 through 24, it's just very interesting because he talks about, he said, you haven't come to the mountain of gloom and storm. And he's talking about the old covenant versus the new covenant. The old covenant where people couldn't come close to God. And remember the glory of the uh, the presence of God surrounded the the mountain and they couldn't get close. And he said, you have not come to this mountain of gloom and storm where people couldn't come close to God, but you have come to the new covenant. And this is the promise of those who belong to Christ, that keep their eyes on him, that they can come close. That he shed his blood and he gave his life for us. Let's not forget that, that we're under the new covenant of Christ Jesus. And this helps us to guard against sin and the bitter root The idea that Jesus Christ—and this is why we why we live—but the idea of Jesus Christ going to a brutal cross for you and me, it should humble us and blow us away every day that He would do that for us, because He did that for you individually. He did that for you individually. I think sometimes we can miss the power. the profoundness of that moment, when we think of the cross, we should think of the cross every day and absolutely be stunned that Jesus would do that for us. Blown away, humbled. He said, because of that, you don't live in the old covenant where people couldn't approach God because of sinfulness. Jesus has come so that people can run into the presence of God. That's why at the moment when he, when he died on the cross, it says the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. God was making a statement and saying, you're no longer separated from my presence. Anyone, not just the high priest, anyone can come to me. Because that is what I've always wanted. Sin separated and now the blood of Christ mends that separation and it bridges that separation that people can now come to Jesus Christ. And through the cross we have that ability to come back to him again. Should blow us away every day. So I'm going to touch in on verses 25 through 29 very quickly here, holding on to that which is unshakable. Verse 25 See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? that's just an encouragement. Do not turn a deaf ear toward God. Listen to him when he calls to you. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And That's how he ends the thought in Hebrews 12 he's talking about these times of shaking. Obviously, there he, he touches in on the end of days where times of shaking are going to get worse and worse. Jesus said it in Matthew 24. He said, there will be famines, there will be earthquakes, and there will be all kinds of disturbances and shaking. And there's a, you know, it's not just kind of, you know, just accidental stuff. There is a purpose behind it, and God allows it. I don't think God, you know, says, all right, I'm going to kill a bunch of people off with this, with this earthquake. He allows it, though, because he is speaking something through it. And the point that he is speaking is saying, I want you to hold on to that which is unshakable because all of this temporary earthly stuff will be shaken. And so there is an end times kind of idea here of things getting worse. And we already are seeing that around us. There's a lot of shaking going on. You know, we do see these storms and earthquakes. We see, you know, economies kind of, you know, in in, in very fragile times, and there's this shaking going on. It's all around us. But we also deal with personal shakings. And there's an allowance that God has that, again, He doesn't see us just in this earthly life. He sees us from time from eternity past to eternity future. He doesn't just frame us in this earthly life. He sees what we're going to be doing Thousands of years from now when we're ruling and reigning with him. But we do, when we live on this earth, we will endure personal shakings. We've gone through them. We could go around the room and we could hear people's stories of personal shakings. We will go through them and we will go through them again. The the writer here, Paul is writing, he's quoting the words of of God to the prophet Haggai. He said, once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. And then he says, he goes on to say, he said, the words once more indicate that the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. In other words, everything that is temporary, and he talks about created things, everything that's temporary, everything that's of the earth will be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken will remain. And so that begs the question that comes out of this, This idea, what are you holding on to? When your world is shaking, what do you grab hold of? Is it earthly things? Is it temporary things? Do we have our hope placed on those things that will actually crumble in our hands? Because those things will be shaken. And so we have to test our hearts always before the Lord. Lord, what am I hanging on to? What do I run to when my world is kind of crumbling around me? Has your world ever seen at times seem like it's falling apart? That you don't have really any good answers? That you've been crying out to God and you just seem like I'm not really getting anywhere? And I don't really hear much of what's going on. It is a reality, and it is difficult. I'm not here to say that you should just get over it. It's very hard when you're enduring those seasons. When you're in the middle of the storm, it's the hardest. If it hasn't happened to you, it will. Some will endure greater trials than others, and that's why we can't look and try to compare. And, well, so-and-so didn't go through this. I'm going through this. and That's just a dangerous place. But some people go through greater trials than others. But the gist of what the writer is saying here, he says, shakings will come. They will come. It's guaranteed that they'll come. He's telling us they will come. It says God's going to allow shaking of everything that is temporary. And then he's saying this, hold on to that which is eternal instead of the temporary. And so what are you holding to? What are you trusting in? Because if it's temporary, it will disappoint you. Your heart will grow cold. Your love will grow cold if it's set on temporary things. When we're shaken with those things that are out of our control, we choose where we stand. Jesus gave this parable in Matthew chapter 7 that most of us are familiar with. And he talks about the wise and the foolish builders. And it's interesting because he tells the story because he says, you know, the wise man, he builds his house on the rock, on the firm foundation. The foolish man builds his house on the sand. And from maybe even maybe an observational point, they look like the same kind of structure, but the foundation is the important thing. And also what's interesting about this is he said, neither one of them are exempt from storms. Because the rock is Christ. I mean, Jesus, one of his names is is, he is our rock and our redeemer, our foundation. And just because we build our lives on him does not mean that we're exempt from storms. And Jesus is making the point, what is your life built on? What are you running to? Are you built on the rock? Are you built on something else? Because anything but the rock is shifting sand. Because the storms will come. The storms come to both. But, the, but the, the main point here is the one that endures is the one who has built their life upon the rock, knowing what our house is built on. Our faith will get tested. But if our lives are built on Jesus, the rock, we're going to remain standing strong. Don't be surprised when shakings come, especially when you look at this passage of Scripture where it says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So don't be surprised when there's shakings going on around us. In context with this book, even, the letter is written to a group of Jewish believers that are spread out, and they are under great persecution. So he's speaking something that they... They don't have a hard time understanding. They don't have a hard time comprehending what he's saying here. When he's talking about shaking, they're all reading this letter saying, man, he's he's very right. Because their worlds were turned upside down. They were accepting Christ. And some of the people that they were even very close to, I'm going to talk a little bit about that next week, but some of the people they were close to were the ones that were persecuting them. They were rejecting them. Jewish people rejecting Jewish people. These were just Jewish believers in Christ, and there, uh, the other ones were, were, were beginning to persecute them and hunt them down. And so their world was shaking, and he's saying, Hold on. The writer's telling them to hold to the one who is immovable, hold on to the one who is unshakable. What's your life built on? It's interesting if you've ever seen footage from, you know, camera footage from an earthquake. And you see people kind of running and, 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 and people kind of, you know, most people are just trying to, you know, get out, get away from crumbling things that are, that are you know, possibly could cause them injury or death. And they're looking for anywhere that might be more secure than where they're at. And there was one a few years ago. It wasn't the, wasn't the real bad earthquake in Japan that caused a tsunami, but it was a few years ago. Maybe some of you guys remember that. But they had this one footage. It was on the news, and, and it just struck me. And it was kind of one of those moments where it was very spiritual for me. And I'm not saying all these moments are, are like that. But this was very spiritual to me because they, it was like a, a lobby of some sort. And in the center of this lobby was this gigantic counter. And, and in this counter, it was a, a really heavy, heavy marble top to it. And, you know, and it had kind of edges of a counter that came off. And you see the people in this lobby. You know, at first, they're, they're, you know, it's that, oh, no, it's shaking. And it's on us right now. And you see them begin to run. And they were, there was many of them running towards the, to get underneath that counter. This strong, solid marble counter because you could kind of get under and it would create a little ledge for you. And they were all just kind of converging on this big, heavy marble counter. Because in a moment of shaking, you're going to try to find that which is immovable. You're going to run towards it, which is the right response. And just in that natural moment, as you watch that unfold, I'm thinking, I was reminded of the story when, when, when there's shifting going on, and there's, there's these things, these shakings going on, because the purpose of God is, God is after the human heart. And He wants people to run to Him, because He is the rock that can't be moved. He is the unshakable one. And when all the world is shaking around us, we want to go to Christ, as the song says, Christ the solid rock, I will stand. I'm not exempt from the storm, but I'm going to find him in the midst because that is his purpose. And the point of the shaking is he wants the human heart. Where do you run when your life is shaking? Where do you go to? What do you you hang on to? The Lord wants you to know today that he deeply loves you. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to surrender your life to him because in those moments You will find that he'll never leave you. He won't ever forsake you. And he he will be exactly what you have been looking for. What's your life built on? Come to the one that is unshakable. Let's pray. The psalmist says this. He says, let the words of my mouth, Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight O oh Lord my rock and my redeemer. I love that prayer because what he's saying is Lord allow every area of my life to be affected by you. Let everything that I say, the, the actions of my life, the med- things I meditate on, the words that I speak be acceptable in your sight. And then he says this, O oh Lord my rock. Because if your foundation is not Christ Jesus, the tendency is bitterness, unhappiness, being swayed by circumstances, running to earthly things for fulfillment, temporary things that will crumble. And whatever you're going through today, whatever season of life you're in, there is an invitation to you today to the Lord, from the Lord, to says, come to me, surrender today, because today you can find redemption. You can find healing for your soul. And I just want to agree in prayer with, with, with you as as uh, as you know everybody's kind of you know just with your eyes closed. And but if you're if you're here today and, and you're and you're going through a storm in your life right now, and there, there there's a lot of shaking in your life right now, and, and it's a difficult time. And you'd just like for us to agree with you in prayer. Can I just see your hand? Because I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you for those. So, Lord, I just right now, and I, and I ask that you would just agree with me in prayer. Lord, right now, we just lift these up. Lord, you see the hands. You see the storms. You see the shakings. And, Lord, I pray right now that these precious people would know you as their rock and their redeemer. Lord, that they would grab hold of you, the one who is unshakable. The one who is immovable. The one who doesn't leave. The one who doesn't neglect. The one who is always there. I pray, God, that they would just find you in a fresh and new way. And, Lord, I pray for each of our hearts. I pray today that we would surrender fresh and new to you today. We would give our hearts to you, guys, because we cannot do it on our own. We desperately need you. Forgive us when we've taken control, Lord God. Forgive us for the times when we've allowed the bitter root to get in. Forgive us when we've tried to walk in our own holiness. Forgive us, Lord, when we've gone to temporary earthly things instead of you. So, Lord, we give you our hearts today. I pray a blessing on each person here. Lord, touch our week this week. May we go out. Lord God, may we, may we be a blessing to someone that we come in contact with this week. May we love someone. Care about someone. Look to Spread the love of Jesus wherever we go. Lord, we love you today, and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.